Good morning. Good morning, survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities. It's Wednesday, so here we are talking about topics related to narcissistic abuse. Uh, narcissistic abuse is a style of abuse. It does not necessarily have to come at the hands of someone who has narcissistic personality disorder. Um, it's a style of abuse that is used by manipulative and abusive personalities. So just to be clear on that topic, um, today we're going to talk about the five love language of the five love languages of the narcissist. Um, so that's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> but first, Monday, this coming Monday, November 18th, is our SNAP class three abusive relationships. Um, now this class focuses on common features of toxic and abusive relationships. How many times have you tried to leave this person or set boundaries with this person, but you just can't seem to stick to it? Or maybe uh, you know someone or love someone, a family member, a friend who just won't leave. You know, everybody sees that it's a bad thing, but the person just can't seem to, to get away. Um, it gets frustrating. Um, and perhaps, uh, you know, you're wondering why won't they leave? those sorts of things. And so there's these common cycles and patterns and systems that play out in abusive and toxic relationships. Um, and so this class on Monday helps you understand how abusive relationships work. You can attend, um, well, it's online only, so you're going to attend from home, but you can also attend with complete privacy and anonymity. No one has to see you, know your name. You don't have to participate verbally. You can turn your microphone off, turn your video off, and just listen. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about abusive relationships, that's going to be Monday. And the, in our, the notes here for this video is the link um, that'll take you to sign up for the class. But now let's talk about the five love languages of the narcissist. Gosh, these were really hard to select because there's so many things that they do uh, and tactics that they use that are super common. Um, and so I had to narrow it down. But let's see here. What's the first one? Oh, yeah, here we go. The first one is parasitic attachment. So they need things from you. They need your time, your attention, your energy, your help. They need things from you. And, and then your life starts to sort of get, get set up that way so that you have to do things for them. Um, so it might be something like, for example, uh, making all of their doctor's appointments for them and basically caring for them like they're a child in a way. Um, and then they become sort of like helpless and you're like uh, feeling like you have a, a, an additional child in your house that, but that child has way more power than you do. Um, and it's sort of a scary toddler. <laughs> you know, it's like a, having a toddler with a gun running around your house. It's just, not good, right? But they, they rely on you, they need you for things, um, and they want to take things from you. And they take things right out from under your nose and you don't even realize it because sometimes it's a slow, progressive, sort of creeping process that catches up with you later on. So remember that at the beginning of a relationship, um, and, and even, you know, if you've been with this person for, for a while, if you're getting ready to, to merge your lives and combine your lives, Lives. Um, we talked about dating and not integrating. If you're ready to integrate with someone after you've dated them for a while, you know, think about keeping your things separate um, until 
you know, you have been with them for a long time and you know that this is all going to be okay. Keep your things separate. Um, so then that way, if you need to leave, you can leave. Um, and they're not relying on you for something and then that makes you feel guilty like you can't go anywhere. But just notice when you are, um, when, when someone in your life or maybe a romantic partner is using you um, and taking from you and relying on you um, and then almost making you feel like that you're responsible for them now. So if you don't do those things for them, you're doing something wrong instead of you're doing something nice for them. Thank you for doing that. That's so nice that you did that for me. <clears throat> It'll be something like, now what am I supposed to do? You know, it, it's now you're in big trouble because you didn't do the nice thing for them that they've become accustomed to that was just a favor really in the beginning. Okay, next, gaslighting. Gaslighting is a buzzword right now, um, but it's a serious thing and it's not something to be taken lightly. And my definition of gaslighting is the denial of a shared reality. So in other words, um, and you guys can't see me, but something I'll do in a session here is I'll take my pen and I'll throw it in the middle of the floor. Okay. You and I both saw me throw the pen. I dropped the pen onto the floor. You saw it. I saw it, right? It's a shared reality. So a narcissist or a gaslighter, a gaslighter or a manipulative person is going to, they're going to say, what was that? And you're going to say, oh, I just threw the, the pen in the middle of the floor. No, you didn't. You threw the pen at me. You threw that pen at me. Whoa, 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 no, I didn't. I just tossed it and it landed in the middle of the floor. Well, that's not what I, that's not the way I took it. You know, that was, that was abusive. You threw that pen. So they take reality and they shift it and twist it and shape it into whatever fits their objectives. Um, and they believe their own crap. Too. So they will believe their own lie and they'll stick with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So gaslighting, and when that happens, when you're being gaslighted all the time, it winds up really screwing with your head and it can, it can cause cognitive dissonance to a great degree. And then you're going to wind up with anxiety, um, PTSD, depression, because your, your reality is all scrambled up and now you don't know what's what. And after a while, you just wind up going along with whatever they say is real because you kind of don't have a choice, you know. Um, and so now you have your view and their view. And no matter what actually takes place, factually speaking, it's all up for grabs. And that just causes a lot of uh, psychological issues for people and mood issues as well. Um, so narcissists love to use gaslighting um, because it works to break down your psychological uh, components that make you sure of your own self and of your own perceptions. Okay, number three. Now the third love language of the narcissist is their victimhood and their victim narrative. Um, so with the victimhood, they want us to feel bad for them, um, we want them. We want they want us to feel guilty or remorse or uh, shame for what we have done to them. <laughs> no matter what's actually gone on, because remember now reality is up for grabs because we're gaslighting. Okay, so in this fantasy make-believe world that they create, you are the bad guy and they are the victim. Uh, and so what that does, in addition to sort of scrambling your brain, um, but also it makes you feel like that um, 
Well, sometimes you believe them. Sometimes you, you think that you have hurt them, you know, and since we like to be ego dystonic, which means that we are always looking at ourselves where we can get better. Maybe we were wrong. We might go, gosh, yeah, I see where maybe I did do that. And you'll, you'll start to like believe it and go along with it. Right. Um, they never take responsibility for anything. Nothing is ever their fault. They have amazing excuses and elaborate narratives that describe why, you know, the things happened and then how it wasn't their fault. Um, but just remember that you're the bad guy always and that you're the one that's hurting them. And if you are an empathic person who truly never wants to hurt a soul, if someone is treating you like you're hurting them, you start to feel really bad, like that you are hurting them. Um, you begin to believe it and they, they can act like it with Academy Award level acting and real tears and everything. So um, it, it's just it, these types of tactics wind up really, like I've said five times already, it just messes with your head um, to an extreme degree. It's psychological warfare. These are psyops, you know. Um, Number four is coercive control. Coercive control, um, there's a law, a coercive control law in the UK. Laura Richards is a pioneer and advocate for um, domestic violence, and she's here in the US now trying to work on getting a coercive control um, law made here. But coercive control has to do with acts or patterns of acts that work to make the target feel threatened, um, to feel that they can't um, leave, um, because if they do, there's going to be something bad that happens. Or if they step out of line, then they're in bigger trouble. So. I don't know if anybody has watched El Camino yet. Um, that's that sequel for uh, Breaking Bad, but it's a really amazing depiction of how coercive control manifests in, you know, of course, in Stockholm Syndrome, but also, um, you know, it's more subtle than that. So maybe you're not being physically abused, but you are being psychologically abused, right? And remember, all abuse is physical abuse, and maybe that'll be another video, but all of all abuse is physical abuse. Um, but, but it's more about what you think could happen if you don't go along with their wishes. Um, and so one thing might be, you know, maybe you have, uh, maybe they took something from you that's very important to you, like something sentimental. Um, maybe your grandmother made you something um, and now it's missing and they have it. And so if you do something that they don't like, they might break it or throw it away. Um, you worry about what they're going to do to the kids. You worry about what they're going to do to the pets sometimes. Um, and they use triangulation um, as a form of coercive control because they have a way of getting people to, uh, you know, rally against you, whether it's fictional or real. They will um, go and, and pull a third party in, and sometimes they just make it up, and that third party never actually had the interaction that they're about to describe. Um, but they'll, they'll use a third party to somehow validate their view of you or of themselves, um, and, and often they will pull in a, a family member, a friend, a, a child. They'll, they'll pull somebody into it that is important to you. Um, and then that makes you feel like, well, you know, crap, now if I do something that he doesn't like or she doesn't like, 
there he's going to tell this other person that I care about all these terrible things about me. That's coercive control too. So humiliation, smear campaigns, all that stuff has to do with coercive control. Um, they're also going to limit your access to money and resources. They're going to limit your access to people who help you or make you feel better about your feel good or better about yourself. Um, so if you like going to therapy, when you come home from therapy, you're a little bit peppy or a little bit stronger. They're not going to want you to go to therapy anymore. Um, and, you know, it's, it's unspoken too. It's not just spoken, it's unspoken. They have a way about them that sometimes they don't have to say a word and you know exactly where they are with things and what, how, it's, how things are going to go down. Um, okay, so that was four. We have parasitic attachment, gaslighting, victimhood, and coercive control. And then the last one, we're going to go ahead and say love bombing, okay? Because these are supposed to be love languages. Of course, that's a tongue-in-cheek, you know, they don't really literally seriously love you. You're an object. Um, they see you as, some, as an object they're entitled to. Um, but with love bombing, you know, and, and some people are so, let's say that the abuse in the relationship has progressed past the point of love bombing. Okay, so some of you might be in a situation when there is no love bombing anymore, but you remember the love bombing in this sort of longing way. Like it felt so good when they are nice to you or when they say nice things to you or show you affection um, or, or, you know, want to spend time with you. Um, that feels so good when you've been neglected um, and abused, you will just want any kind of positive attention at all or even negative attention from the person. Um, and so if so don't don't think that love bombing is always present because sometimes it's not. It's they cycle out of it eventually. Um, but at least at the beginning and in the middle, they are using love bombing as a way to draw you back in, okay? And the love bombing can be through gifts. It can be through, um, you know, saying and doing nice things. Um, love bombing can be, you know, sending you the song, your song. You know, you guys have like a song that is your, I don't know whatever reminds you of each other, you know, so they'll send you a link to the song that's your song, or they will um, apologize. They'll apologize profusely. They'll say, you are the best thing that ever happened to me. I can't live without you. I don't deserve you. You're way too good for me. And it seems like they're like, you know, wow, like that, that's really going on in there. Oh, they're so damaged. And maybe I should have more um, patience. You know, um, he does try sometimes or, you know, she has said she's going to stop drinking or she's going to go to therapy. You know, we start to talk ourselves out of um, our own perception and we start to feel sorry for them again because it seems like that there's this, you know, they show us a glimpse of this person who's trapped inside Um so they're just confused, you know, but they really, they really do love me. Um, but remember that that's fake. It's fake. It's an act. Um, you know, when someone is, is treating you like garbage, that's the real them, right? That's the real them. They can take a moment and gather some energy and focus and put on that face for you if you're, a high value target and you're worth you're worth the energy they'll put that on for you after a while you're not worth it anymore so they're not going to put it on anymore because it takes effort and they're lazy um, so you know love bombing is 
is sort of that piece in the cycle that that keeps you coming back because it's the only thing that winds up feeling any good um, and they know it works um, and then sometimes they will you know ratchet up the love bombing if you're not pay if you're not responding in the way that they think that you should and then when you stop responding altogether all of a sudden they're angry again and you'll be really uh, you know it'll be sort of satisfying to see that, oh, there you are. Okay, there you are. You really didn't go anywhere. That was you all, okay, there you are, right? So in other words, you, they're they're making an investment right now. They, they are putting their energy together and their focus together to try to get your attention and to gain, you know, gain your affection. Um, and that, that took effort. And so the fact that you're not responding, how dare you? You know, like, I see how you are. No, I see how you are. <laughs> you know, we see you. We see you. You're not fooling us, right? Okay, so that was the five love languages of the narcissist. Parasitic attachment, gaslighting, victimhood, coercive control, and love bombing. Oh, I wanted to show you this really quick. This is the actual five love languages book, okay, for healthy relationships. If you're interested, Gary Chapman, very easy read, really good stuff. Um, so our class is Monday. If you're interested, check the notes here and uh, you'll find the link to sign up. And if you have any suggestions of other love languages that narcissists use, feel free to share those in the comments. Um, and I hope you have a really, really great day and I'll see you next week.